0: it's time it's time to scale but how do you scale internationally and how do you scale through corporate partnerships i'm kimberly larson i'm the founder and ceo of indie riot and time to riot and together with supra seria and danske bank with guests we will be exploring these topics live in this three-part podcast series from the epicenter join us and see if you are ready Are you thinking about bringing your business idea out to the world? Because for many startups and scale ups, that's one of the main targets. But getting there, on the other hand, that is not the easiest procedure. For Danske Bank, this is an extremely important topic. And they've actually initiated this talk together with Mia Grossen from Kanut and Fredrik Ulofsen from Nibi and Skyfall Ventures, and uh, Johanna Herbst. You are Danske Bank's growth and impact lead here in Norway, and you're the one who invited us here today. Um, Why is this so important to Danske Bank?
1: Yeah, as you said, uh, we work with the growth and impact in Danske Bank, and we are a really, we are Nordic team, really passionate about innovation and growth in our region. And um, we see that our markets are pretty small, uh, and, uh, but we have some, or we have a lot of small, but fast-growing companies that we are really impressed by. And we really, really want to see them fly.
0: But isn't it, you know, isn't it good enough to be you know, a good-sized company in your own country? Do we really have to go international? Yeah, I think we see a big difference from if we look 10 years back, that
1: uh, many companies are based on tech, and it seems almost like it's in their DNA uh, to, to grow, go abroad. And also the tech is usually nationality agnostic, right? So there are so many opportunities and uh, to stay competitive and to grow enough uh, and to fly, that is, uh, that's important.
0: That makes sense. Yeah. And then you've invited our experts here today. I have. Do you want to uh, say why?
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, we as a bank can support in so many ways. We, we have our digital platforms, the Hub & Plus Impact, we run accelerators and we advise growth companies. But we are so happy to see that there are so many talented people out there with a great passion to to help out. And so we have uh, two of them here today. Uh, We have Frederick, as you said, from Nubu, who's been through this journey uh, himself a couple of times and can share his experience. So thank you so much for uh, joining us.
2: Thank you for inviting me.
1: And then we have Mia uh, running Canute Internationalization Programs. And uh, Danske Bank was really impressed with the work Mia is doing. Uh, So we have uh, or we have for some time been partners with Canute to make sure that we can uh, have even more uh, Nordic companies join the program and benefit from the expertise there. So thank you also to you, Mia, for joining us here today.
0: Happy to be here. Yeah, so Mia, basically, you're running then an accelerator on how to scale internationally, right?
3: Can you tell us a little bit about what you do? Of course. Yeah, so we, we actually call it a networking program. So Canute is a platform for Nordic companies that wants to scale internationally. And we mainly help them doing that by having these three-day market entry programs in Stockholm, Berlin, London, and New York. And here we collect 10 startups at a time who are ready to scale to those markets, and then we bring them to the market and we connect them with local network, mostly important, uh, and then we try to just Fast be the uh, knowledge sharing as well in the market. So that what would normally take them ten months to build themselves in the market, we try to do that in the, in three days. So basically saving them them time um, in scaling to these uh, new markets.
0: Time saved is money spent. But uh, is it for everyone? Like, how do you? Can you do this for any company? So any startup can come to you and say, "I want to scale international." Or like, how do you pick? who should actually do this?
3: Yeah, so we have three main criteria that we look at. Uh, One is that you need to have recurring revenue in your own market. Uh, So this is because we believe that you need to have found some kind of product market fit or some kind of uh, proven business model in your home market before you're ready to scale internationally. So we have that as a criteria recurring revenue. Then we need to see growing traction as well. Um, And that's also because some businesses might based their business model on markets, yes, rather than revenue. Uh, so we, we can also accept if you have like really fast growing traction um, as a business. And then the last one is my, might be the most important one is a market criteria. So if you want to come to the London program, you need to have landed your first paying customer, your first partnership, or your first investor in the UK within the last 12 months or have a go to market strategy to do so within the next 12 months. Uh, so it's like a two two year time gap, you can say. and uh, yeah, we've seen that that adds a lot of value to the group going together because it means that you're going together with nine other companies who are also serious about entering into this new foreign market uh, where there's other you know good initiatives out there where that the, we don't see this market criteria and then you end up with a group where, There's some really early stage companies and you know some making like millions in revenue already and they might not have that much in common uh but because we have this market criteria we end up with a group of 10 companies who are really serious about scaling um to the specific market and it does make it a lot easier for us as well to make the content in the program very hands-on because they're all about to scale you know tomorrow Uh, so it makes it makes it easier to make a very valuable program for them
0: well, uh, Fredrik, you know, you, you've been down this route before. Do you think, did you fit these criteria that she mentions? And, uh, you know, is it always good to go global? Or do you think that's sort of a myth?
2: Ah, uh, yeah, I think um, uh, it, it, of course, depends, like, which is the boring question, uh, reply to anything. But I think we <laughs> have um, uh, done some really tough learnings, especially with the first uh, startup I was involved in, uh, something called Evacuate. Where we made um, security devices for fire brigades and so on, and we actually sold all over the world. We were really keen on calling ourselves born global, uh, so we we sold all over the world and we learned uh, we sold to Japan and India before Sweden and so on, which was fantastic, cool for us at that time. But we also learned that we had to. We had lots of learning from the kind of the teething uh, problems of the product from fire brigades in Japan, which we could have learned <laughs> from fire brigades in Oslo, which would have been uh, way smarter. So I, I think it's, it depends on what kind of product it is, but uh, it's important that it is mature enough because this, going internationally is, is about scaling, right? That's the reason for doing it. And then you, you shouldn't scale too early in general being international or or just scale in your own country you should scale when you're ready to scale
0: but some companies might be born global though yeah, yeah. not because they need to scale yeah
2: uh, yeah, yeah and so and some uh, some uh, dynamics is exactly like that too that uh, it really doesn't matter where in the world you are if it's uh, uh, certain tech products and so on uh, it can be if you don't need critical mass and and uh, yep. parameters like that then you can, but you have to really understand the dynamic of uh, what you're doing and what markets you target, and focus is always a smart thing.
0: Fo- mm-hmm. <laughs> focus <laughs> tends to help sometimes. I've I've heard that myself. But uh, so you're the founder and CEO of NIBI. Um, huge focus on uh, resource collaboration in the public sector. Can you uh, tell us a little bit more about uh, what it is you do and how you how you came about this?
2: Yeah, we're a team of 15 in uh, NIBI, and what we do is that we have together with a number of uh, local authorities in Norway, we have created world's first resource collaboration platform for public services, which is uh, because all municipalities and, and agencies uh, re- related to health, they basically struggle uh, with lack of resources. But if you look broader in the municipalities, lots of available resor- and idle and underutilized resources to at unemployment an office and so on. So uh, what we do uh, with Nibi, we enable municipalities that that nurses, uh, typically, which is the core target. Nurses have way too much to do. Uh, And then through our uh, service, they can connect directly with pre-qualified resources for different tasks that they can uh, carry out. So that in that way, the, uh, the nurses get superpowers and you can involve uh, unemployed volunteers citizens and so on in the service production
0: i think this is super interesting especially because you know we're discussing scaling and scaling internationally and and that is very dependent on these types of like collaborations in the way that you talk about the resource collaborations Uh, We're collaborating in different time zones and different cultures and with one of my companies, uh, Time to Riot, which is a marketplace for the creative industry, we were super surprised to see the big cultural differences trying to collaborate in, in the UK. And I thought you know it would be quite similar in UK to Norway, but it, it was huge differences in in how our, our customers are. And uh, Mia, well, you pretty much are born global because you started your whole career backpacking in in the world and living in Thailand, didn't you? Uh, so it's, yeah,
3: it's, it's quite a few years ago, but but yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
0: time flies when yeah, you're so, having fun. <laughs>
3: yeah, exactly. So so yeah, that was actually my first um, own startup. Uh, that was within travel tech. And yeah, I came up with the idea actually while living in Istanbul, uh, working in a hostel. uh, And then we developed a a social management tool for for hostels and backpackers. And yeah, then I moved to Thailand and spread it out there. So it's actually adding to uh, a point before as well, that yes, we were born global in that first startup, but after, I think it was the first six months, we had clients in Istanbul, in Bangkok, one in Canada, one in the Hungary of all places, and I think we spread ourselves way too thin. We were still still only four people uh, managing this company, and I think that's a point as well to make that sometimes startups are way too opportunity driven because you know you just launched your product and then anyone who has an interest in buying your product, you know, you think it's like sent from heaven. So you oh, just you love chase your customers. That opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, exactly. And then you end up with like one random customer in Hungary and one in Canada and one in Istanbul. And at least that's what we found in that first startup, that it was very tempting taking these clients in because we're paying for the software as well. But we ended up having to manage across different time zones and, you know, the, the product wasn't like fully developed yet. And yeah, so I just think that's the point as well, to, to also have the courage to say no to some paying clients in the beginning to simply choose to focus in two or three markets at a time. Yeah, exactly. Fredrik, you wanted to comment? Yeah,
2: I think it's super interesting because uh, it's it's very typical for a startup to be opportunity driven or sales driven instead of market driven. Because a market, if you focus on a market, there you have, then you will have, um, a market can be defined if the the customers talk to each other and, and know each other, and then you get the word of mouth effects, which is fantastic, and reference effects and so on. And that's a reason for itself to focus on the market instead of uh, just a product and a sales or a sales opportunity.
3: Yeah, because it's, it's easy to think. Yeah, go, go for it, Mia. Yeah, sorry, I just wanted to add as well that one thing is like, and I think that's the most common one to be opportunity driven by the sales because that's what you want in a new startup. But I've also seen examples of startups you know, I'm asking them, why Why are you in Denmark and Spain of all countries? And it's like, oh, yeah, once we had like a Spanish intern and she knew the language. So then it just made sense to look into Spain and and which, you know, it might not have been a bad choice, but the fact that a lot of these market choices are not data driven, they're just opportunity driven. And that being like, oh, my girlfriend lived in Canada. So I chose to open up, a, you know, a sub department in Canada or I had a Spanish intern or I had a you know, a client that was willing to pay from Hungary. Um, but, I just see is that this... so much.
0: But is that always a bad thing? Because here, here, here we come into the question about uh, the, the structural random, right? So, um, for instance, you know, we're a marketplace connecting people who want jobs with jobs. And we've had some random jobs suddenly in, in Canada where we're like, okay, let's see what happens and then it's growth and then, you know, we, we put on people. So, I, I, we've always had a plan of being structured, but uh, random is what's given us the biggest growth. Uh, what do you think Fredrik? should should it be random or should it be structured or is there is there uh, one or the other
2: I think it's uh, it's super interesting this of course it has pitfalls on both sides uh, I've coached a company that had massive uh, or lots of demand from uh, from the US on some very simple products uh, but then uh, but then they had in their plan that US was not until 3 years so first they should do Uh, Sweden, then Denmark, then maybe UK and so on. And then structure is a good thing, but uh, I think they missed lots of opportunities uh, and uh, the US market might have been far more ripe for their product than uh, than Sweden, for instance. Uh, But but it has its advantages too. Like, for instance, with um, Nibi, uh, we have to do a more structured approach because we sell to government. So we really should uh, investigate, uh, is the government, do they have the same understanding of the uh, the challenge? What are the challenges? What's the structure there? And so on before we go in, because it's also long sales cycles, about nine to 12 month sales cycles. So we need to kind of go in and work with the market uh, Mm -hmm. to penetrate it. But um are you saying uh, again, the government we'll have is to not understand. impulsive? Sorry?
0: Are you saying the government is not impulsive? No,
2: it's not. <laughs> during COVID, during COVID, <laughs> governments were very uh, Exactly. <laughs> impulsive, so that was fantastic. Yeah.
0: But but you are also an investor, so you're sort of on both sides because in Nibir, you're the founder and CEO and then in Skyfall Ventures you're actually a VC investor. Uh what do you prefer as an investor?
2: Yeah, but it's always good to have a plan. You should have a plan, but then Uh, It's like military as well. You should, uh, planning is very important, but the plan is nothing. So you should have a plan, uh, which is the idea, and then stuff comes up and then you should be able to uh, act on it, right?
0: So, uh, you know, these are all things we need to think about when we want to go international. But how so how can the Danske Bank help us? It's <laughs> it's pretty uh, uh, massive cultural differences. Like, does it help with the local presence or how, how is the Danske yeah. Bank? Uh, For
1: sure. I mean, we see a big benefit of being a bank that can actually scale with our customers. I mean, not to Kyrgyzstan, <laughs> but to to quite quite a few other markets mm. and to actually have offices and have uh, people on the ground and uh and places uh, only like i mean not further away than london or or berlin but still people on the ground who knows the i mean we can also talk about regulation mm. not a very fun word but very important um and you know knowing the market having connections and uh, that can really be a big benefit for um, for our smaller customers getting help with that so
2: and just to validate because a big brand uh, just to, that you collaborate with a well-known local uh, or brand, international brand or a well-known local brand. Like in Sweden, we sell through Atea, which mm. is a well-known brand in Sweden. It gives lots of good credibility for uh, for us. Mm. For sure.
3: And may- maybe I can just add to that as well, that uh, speaking of a country like Kyrgyzstan or me that lived in, uh, in Turkey or in Thailand, like you kind of expect to meet some cultural differences. But I actually had exactly the same uh, um, experience as you uh, Kim when moving to London and I was, uh, I was UK country manager for a Danish startup over there and I just didn't expect to meet that many cultural differences uh, so you know the day after I moved there I just went out on the street and started like knocking on doors I just wanted to sell the product and the way we do that in Denmark is that the polite approach is that you don't want to waste people's time so you go very much straight to the point like you don't want to you know, waste 15 of them minutes talking about something that's not relevant, so you just go straight to the point and you sell the product and you're like, this is the price, this is the value proposition, uh, do you want to buy it? Uh, and that that's a polite business way to do it in Denmark. And all the Brits thought I was so rude. Rude. <laughs> um, so it was just like if someone could have prepared me that, and I, I even have a British partner, right, and I still wasn't prepared. So you really, really need to prepare these things so you don't, waste your time? Because I think the first 10, 12 sales meetings I had was more or less waste of time because they thought I was really rude. So I was not <laughs> going to hear back from them, right? So if I had been a bit better prepared of the culture and, and how to go about it, um, I think I would have saved myself time and money. um, And then, you know, after those first meetings, I kind of got Got the point, and then I started talking about the underground and the weather, and asking about (laughs) how their aunt is. (laughs) And you know, you waste in my eyes, you waste 15, 20 minutes talking about things that are not relevant. But that's how you do it over there. And you also have to dress up a little bit more. It sounds like a small thing, but if you come in like what we normally wear in in Denmark, I think they see you as unprofessional. Uh, you do have to dress up a bit more to come across as a professional person. So there's just these small things that you, I, I would say, especially regarding sales, that you really need to, um, yeah, put your head around before you take the big step and start selling in a, in another market.
0: So, uh, Mia, if we, if we go to um, your accelerator, these are the kind of stuff that you will help us with, right? And then... Um... Like how many how many people have actually or how many companies have gone through your program to date?
3: Yeah, so we're in sixty five now, and we'll reach eighty five at the end of this year, Um, and that's across the four different markets. And actually, adding adding to the point Johanna made as well from Danske Bank, I think that's a big reason for why this cooperation works so well between Canute and Danske Bank because. Like, here, this the right way, but when a bank advisor then have a product on the shelf, which is a, a mini accelerator program, a networking program in another market, that's something unexpected. Like, the Danish clients that come to Danske Bank, they don't expect that they can offer a lot more, you know, than the normal bank services. So when they then send them on a canoe program, and they actually get this huge value in terms of go to market and understanding the cultural differences and meeting investors like I think that's a really really positive way for a bank to surprise as well if that makes sense mm.
0: is that your experience as well johanna that yep. the, this is your
1: surprising uh, side yeah well for sure i mean uh, banks are boring uh, per <laughs> definition <laughs> or <laughs> perceived as <that's> boring <laughs> no, but yeah. uh, none none i mean said when that. we say that we have a, i mean a genuine passion for growth and innovation we actually do so uh, for sure we i mean we, we we advise our customers through our growth growth setup that we have uh, in, in what we hope is a really good way. But also we see that there are other people out there who are so, you know, who who has got things we don't have and experiences we don't have. So to partner up uh, is a really great way to actually help out uh, even better than we can do on our own. So, I mean, um, as banks, we, we, I mean, we talk a lot about risks and stuff. That's kind of in our, in our DNA mm. and that is also important. I mean, we see um, um, when you take your company abroad, I mean, of course, there is an increase in risk uh, uh, in what is probably already a quite risky uh, initiative you're, you're running as a startup, per definition. Uh, so, uh, I mean, we have our own products and own ways of helping because when you invest abroad, even if you, you pay salaries or you buy goods or whatever you do, uh, you will have a different, maybe a different currency. So that will be uh, new issues in liquidity and in currency risk that, I mean, it's not something that all all entrepreneurs uh, know about. Uh, So that is something that we really feel it's important to educate and to help out in getting good cash management setups and also in making sure that you actually hedge your currency risk. So when different currencies fluctuate against each other, your return or your liquidity might actually
0: not be as you... um, as you thought it would be. But I think this is super super interesting because as a, uh, you know, running some scale ups myself, I'm not thinking that, oh, let's tell my bank about this risk we want to endeavor out no. to. Uh, <laughs> but it's good mm. to know that, you know, you can go to Danske Bank and say, we want to do this, it's risky. And you will say, let us help you minimize exactly. the risk.
1: Exactly, because it's not about always minimizing e- either. It's actually about optimizing the risk because Ooh. without risk, there is no return, Right.
0: Oh, see, so banks like
1: risk, just making sure, you know, the right amount.
0: How great a tagline is that? Danske Bank, optimizing your risk. Exactly.
3: i <laughs> <laughs> will use that. If, if I can add to that point as well, actually just tapping into it. So i as well. Um point, sorry, about having a plan. I just very much agree with that. And maybe especially when talking to a potential investor or, 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 or even your bank advisor, like it's always good to have a three or even a five year plan. And I think it can help you steer your team as well, like to make sure you're all, all on the right or the same track at least. Um, but then of course, keeping it agile, And I think as long as you stay in contact with your potential investor or with your bank advisor, everyone knows that your plan is gonna change. But to be able to show that you do have a plan, I think it's, a, it's, yeah, it's just a really good good point.
0: We have some sense of attachment to reality. That that
2: works as well. Yeah, but it's also very important for investors and banks and uh, team members and customers to see the level of ambition, because uh, if you and that's a good thing with a uh, five or ten year target that you see the level of ambition. Is this a global? Uh, scale up uh, that you're uh, such a kind of venture or are you gonna stay in norway sell to 50 municipalities or whatever which is completely different team that you can attract completely different investors that you can interact uh, and the same with uh, partners and so on yeah so that i think is building something big is that it's like building a house with many walls at the same time right so you need to have the ambition and then when you have it attractive ambition then you get great uh, team members and then you get great uh, investors and also demanding great customers
0: so uh mia do you see any like obvious similarities between those companies going through your program who sort
3: of made it well i, I just hate to sound boring because i do really agree that sometimes you <laughs> hit the, the big growth opportunities with going for opportunities but I would say that one similarity is that they have all been very data-driven in their market choice and in their whole go-to-market strategy. So you kind of have, you know, very simply put, two two different kind of companies going abroad. You have the ones that we just talked about before, very opportunity-driven. You know, they don't really have a plan, but they know, like, for example, the UK is a big market. So they're just going to go over there. They're going to send a founder for half a year and see what happens. Uh, which is kind of what I did myself the first time. So there's nothing (laughs) wrong with that. But And and big things can happen. But then you have the the other companies. And I've just seen some amazing examples of, you know, really, really complicated Excel sheets where they put in like, um, obviously comparing the market sizes, but also looking at the competitor situation, the willingness to pay for a product like this, the level of digitization in the population in the, country, you know, all these, like maybe 50 different kind of factors. And then they put seven countries next to each other and compare these numbers. And that's, that's how they choose what markets to go to. And I've just been so impressed with some of those companies of how they've done it. And I must say that they, they are the ones that that I see succeed as well. Um, so I think that because I'm, I'm very focused on the go-to-market part of the company, but I think it's normally a sign that that's how they go about a lot of different subjects in their company. Um, so I just think that that data driven approaches do seem to work uh in the long run at least, and when you see it on a statistically level uh then I know that we have the the odd ones out that just you know hit that opportunity in the u s and they go big but um yeah, I would say that's that's the most common similarity i see uh among the the ones that do succeed but
0: but also uh it sounds like you need to you need to kind of be a certain place with your company before you even need to think um, about going international. So w- when when are you ready to go? How do you know?
2: I think it's one kind of top questions above it is maybe, uh, to under- I think in many, many aspects, it's important to understand what kind of game are we in. Are we in a hiring game? Are we in a marketing game? Are we in a tech game? Or what kind of game is it? Uh, and one separation is because always if you have something great, you feel I have to reach the whole world with this now before someone else catches the market, and you feel very. And when you're deep into something, you see lots of indicators that other people think of it too because you're in that bubble, you know, stuff like this. Uh, but then uh, it's important to uh, see: Are we in? A a game where speed is very important or maybe we are more in a learning game where product quality and serving the whole product and, and services around it and so on is more important. For instance Airbnb, scale game you really had to kind of take that marketplace before someone else did it uh, while Colonial.no and Remarkable and newbie and so on, far more learning games because it's complex games and, and it's also that we sell before growth instead of the speed games, which is growth before uh, sales. So then, again, just is it actually so important to scale super fast? And, uh, And is next market really important? Or can we build more references and so on in our own home market? But then also, if you spend more time on building references in your home market, it's interesting to see, does those references from Norway have any value at all in Sweden or UK? And maybe the next country you go to should be a country that looks up to the countries that where you have references. For instance, we find that Sweden, they like references from Norway, and same with the UK. So then, then it has a value, those references.
0: Because it's a big balance as well, because it's very easy to become a hero in your own country. And we see this in music, we see it in film, in everything. But uh, if you get too comfortable being a hero at home, it's going to be just harder to... Go out. Johanan. No, I was also
1: thinking when you were speaking now that, I mean, there are, we talk more and more about ecosystems, right? But that is actually a fact in, in, uh, in many cases that you, you're not on your own because you need to connect with so many other pieces of the puzzle mm. to succeed. And an ecosystem might be very developed in one country, but not in another. So yeah. that's why I think like the Canute program and having a, a local market knowledge is so important because mm. it's not, I guess, always just to implement your product, even if it's fantastic, yeah. because it has to be a piece of the puzzle for the users
2: especially in b2b i think maybe. exactly
3: okay but, but yeah i would really like to uh, to add another point to that because i think a lot of companies and, and also advisors around them they tend to only focus on external factors when you judge whether you're ready to scale internationally where what i see seen with the companies i work with is that there's a huge internal factor as well in the company to decide whether you're ready to grow and this is you know do you have your whole internal communication structure in place do you have the right team do you have the right you know agreement in your board do you have the right agreement among you as founders because if you don't feel stable in that internal setup in a small market like one of the nordic countries 100 percent is going to break once you know two of the founders are living in the us and uk and your team is scattered around europe and the communication has to be across different time zones and you know it's just a whole other level of complexity when you're across several countries so i think if you don't have that internal setup quite stable when you start scaling i think you're you're Bound to die on
0: the way. <laughs> so, so actually, yeah. uh, then it does make sense to to uh, plan for being born global, even if you do the first like local testing, because it's something about building the internal culture as well and preparing for this. Mm-hmm. Way we, because if you then build a, a build a company where the entire team thinks that oh we're so great in Norway, and suddenly we're scaling international, it's going to be a little bit tricky. But Mia, uh, with so many companies going through your program. Uh, I'm sure you have a horror story or two, right? Some, <laughs> this is what you don't do.
3: Well,
0: tell us well, that.
3: I, I don't know if it's a horror story, but uh, one of the, the issues I can share with you is that, um, so I'm, I'm, I both have private and, and public partners around me. And one of the numbers that they really like to look at is how many of the companies that have been through the program have actually succeeded in getting paying clients in the program afterwards. Um, and that number is fairly high, it's like 70%. So I'm I'm very happy with that number. But I think the stories that some people share uh, forget to look at or should look at is the fact that I actually have had quite a few companies uh, coming on the, the New York program, for example, and then that's the three days that made them realize that they're not ready for the U.S. yet. And they end up going back home and they realize we need more. Uh, Funding is normally uh, what they realize, or or they figure out that they need to get more data in order to raise capital from a U.S. investor if they want to scale to the U.S. So they simply underestimated the job it was to uh, scale to either the U.S. or the U.K. And then going through the Canoe program has made them realize that, where I see that as a huge success as well, Uh, if I have you know spared them uh, a lost year in in scaling to the uk when they weren't ready yet i think that's a, that's a really big you know achievement as well um so yeah your horror stories so are just, actually good yeah. stories
0: yeah you can say so right
3: well yeah. they could have turned into horror stories if they hadn't
0: realized <laughs> exactly so it's all about learning in and knowing when when you're ready we i mean we've discussed the why we've discussed the who we've discussed the when so now Okay, so all we need is just the recipe. How? How do we do this?
2: (laughs) I can try with something. Uh, Because um, we talked about earlier about the structure versus uh, the unstructured uh, approach. And then um, if you go the unstructured approach, then you need to really get a lot of uh, attention in the market. And a great example of that is Swipe, uh, which I worked for for some time. And we did a great launch with MasterCard, the world's first uh, fingerprint authenticated uh, payment card. We had uh, 1,200 editorial articles all over the world, 30 countries, lots of attention in a very niche segment. And it was a great uh, pull in the market uh, after. What we learned also that the product wasn't industrialized yet, so we were a little bit early, but the, the market launch was fantastic, with the big player, and together with the startup, and it was a really good launch, actually. Uh, and we made a um, uh, great presence in the market. How, for instance, we do with uh, Nibi, which is then a more, we, it's a sales to, to growth uh, company, we do more a structured approach, where we evaluate the the country. We see, is it reference effects from uh, from the existing markets that we're in? Uh, We find a local person. Uh, So in Sweden, it has been a Swede uh, that knows the right words, that knows, that has this feel of the market and the the government market there. We can talk to the different people, investigate, find the right uh, stakeholders and so on. And then we create win-win partnerships locally there with Atea and with other uh, key players so that we create an ecosystem for that uh, country.
0: So, uh, Johanna, what's your how? Yeah, I mean, coming from the
1: outside uh, in here, um, not being a startup, uh, I would say definitely, I mean, uh, take advantage of uh, programs like Canute. Uh, Ask your, uh, I mean, have experienced investors who's been on the journey before. Uh, and uh you know maybe maybe a partner in the local market or a partner that can scale with you uh for sure um important
0: mia do you uh, agree or disagree with uh, what's been said do all the right I agree, things yeah.
3: get money 100% so agree. <laughs> 100% agree i just from you know from where the startups are sitting it can just seem like such a huge task like to be advised on. you need to find a knowledgeable investor you need to find the right partners like but but how do i do that if i've never been to the uk before and i want to scale to the uk like where do i start so i think like my two points would be quite hands-on like one is uh, market test before you scale because it's massively expensive uh, almost all other markets are bigger than the ones we come from so we need to uh, you know, appreciate that it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a big cost as well in a small company. So that one advice is to test the market, uh, you know, the willingness to pay for your product before you actually hire someone locally. Uh, there's a lot of ways to do that. Also, uh, hacking your way through that, you know, set up like a website with a product that's not live yet or something like that. You know, just test the test the interest in the market before you invest in actually expanding to the market. Uh, that's one. And the other one is network. Um, it's actually statistically proven that uh, Nordic founders are some of the least globally connected in Europe. So when they interview um, Danish, Norwegian and Swedish founders, they don't have a lot of international network that they use, uh, you know, in in the day-to-day sparing and, and mentoring. Um, and I think that's just it's such a shame because we just close our, we close in on ourselves. So just, yeah, it's just network. You know, reach out to uh, you know track them down on LinkedIn or whatever you need to do. Come on, Knut, speak to someone like Fredrik, who I'm sure has a very international network, and just get those connections in the market that you want to go to, um, and in network as well just speak to other founders who have done it before yourself, and see if they can save you some early mistakes.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think it, it would be great if we all could share all our mistakes and then other people yeah. might be able to avoid. Although it's like with your children, right? You tell them, don't do this because it's a mistake. They'll still do it. But at least you <laughs> can say, see, I told you so. So
2: <laughs> That's actually very good advice. Listen to your own advice.
0: Yes. <laughs> that is the best yeah. advice. Yeah. Okay, so maybe we can round up with that. Like one final tip. Is uh, networking your tip or do you have another uh, spare little uh, Old nuggets in your pocket No, yeah I
3: think that that will be my main point I'm speaking from a Danish cultural view here but it seems like we're very reluctant to reach out to people we don't know in other countries and we just have to get rid of that like if we were Americans we would just you know scream the name of our startup out to the whole world and I think that uh that yeah Nordic founders could learn a bit from that and just reach out to people like normally they're happy to help if you uh, if you go you know around it in a polite way so yeah, reach out
0: to uh, to people in network. Fredrik, your final tip. What's the one main thing for us who wants to scale?
2: Build something really great first and then, then that's a great product and a great team to execute it.
0: Johanna, you have the last word. Yeah, of course, I have to say, find a bank that can scale with you. <laughs> Boom, there you go. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. This has been an amazing conversation, and uh, I hope everybody listening has learned a bit uh, a thing or two about how to scale international and if not, reach out to people. And there's uh, three very capable people here. so uh, thank you guys so much.
3: Thank you. Thank you for having
2: us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.